The Burning Bird presents The Phoenix Files, featuring Steve Leinert. But uh, you know what? I'm shoot or shoot. Alexander Shaggy Shragus. And that Nardi was wild. And then it ends. Nard gets a, the gold. And Harvish Huck Meta. Oh my god. Again. This is what the Phoenix do. You know, they give me hope. They give me hope. Welcome, Phoenix fans, to The Burning Bird presents The Phoenix Files Game of the Week. This week, we. Harking back all the way to 2014, where the Rochester Dragons traveled to Philadelphia to take on the Phoenix at A.A. Garthwaite Stadium. We are joined here by my regular partners in crime, Alexander Shaggy. Shragus Shaggy, how you doing today, buddy? Great. I came back from another round of Frisbee golf. I feel like all I do is Frisbee golf and record podcasts now. Well, you're doing a fine job at at least one of those things. I'll be the first one to tell you that. And <laughs> joined by Harvish. Huck Meta from the West Coast. Harvish, how you doing today, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great. It's really sunny here. It's going to be sunny for the next several days, so I'm pretty excited. Good thing you can look out your window and see the sun there, Harvish, as you're not allowed outside whatsoever in California. <laughs> I still break the rules sometimes. <laughs> and, we, and this week, we are joined by a very special guest, the head coach of the New York Empire, and the former head coach of the Rochester Dragons, Brian Jones. Brian with a Y, mind you. <laughs> Brian, Brian, thank you for joining us on The Burning Bird. Uh, thanks for having me. You know, I, I was just so hyped up from your last podcast about how the, the Empire shouldn't have won our last regular season game. And I'm a big fan of the Salt. So uh, I wanted to come on and, and relive uh, my last loss of my AUDL career so far. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, this this will be this will be an interesting podcast. Is I was the uh, I was the coach of the Philadelphia Phoenix at the time uh, of this particular game, and uh, and actually I like to like to throw a big shout out to a a longtime listener of the Burning Bear, Big Rick Atkins, who requested a Rochester Dragon Philadelphia Phoenix game be on the Phoenix Files, and here we are, actually living this dream. <laughs> Right now. <laughs> All right, so we're going to recap the game very quickly here uh, for, for Phoenix fans, and then we're going to delve into it with the crew here a little more in-depth. But uh, <clears throat> the uh, Rochester Dragons came to Philadelphia on a beautiful July day back in 2014. The uh, Dragons would receive the start, and after trading some holes, the Phoenix would cash in on the game's first few breaks and take a 5-3 lead. That's the second lead we've seen against the New York team here on the Phoenix Files, I might add. <laughs> that, that lead would grow to 6-3 to to at the end of the first quarter. The second quarter opened off with a bang as the Phoenix received the pull, turned it over, but then they get a Callahan score making it 7-3. to The two teams would trade points until the Phoenix took a 14-12 to lead at halftime. The third quarter woes plagued even the 2014, uh, 2014 Phoenix as their lead evaporated and Rochester would score four straight to make it 16-14 Dragons. The Phoenix finally kicked in the gear, however, and the greatest by, Ross, uh, by Steve Rosso would, uh, and would give the team a break and the Phoenix would hold a 17-16 lead. The Birds would never look back. The Phoenix would... Even notch another Callahan and ended the third quarter with a commanding 23-19 lead. Rochester fought back to pull within 25-23, but in the end, the, the Phoenix lead was too much to overcome, 
and Philadelphia claimed victory at home, 29-24. And actually, that score, according to my calculations, should have been 30 to 24. But we'll talk about that in a in a in a in a brief in a in a brief moment. But the Phoenix got their first win ever at home at AA Garthwaite Stadium that day. And it was it was quite the evening that that ensued uh, after that game. <laughs> I'm sure you were a big partaker in that evening, Steve. It was it was a fun night. It was a fun, we'll, we'll get to the, we'll get to what happened after that game in a little bit. But uh, let's just say the locker room the lock the Phoenix locker room was jubilant for one of the few times in 2014 that 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 particular after that particular game. So. so. I have a question for you, Steve, and for you, Brian. I watched this game, and I counted, and there were 18 hucks to an either unguarded receiver or a receiver who was just running deep. And maybe there was someone running after them, but they were chasing them. And then in all the games that we've watched, we haven't come close to that. You know, there have been hammers that have gone to people that were open, but nothing to the level of this game. Did you guys mandate? that you weren't letting your players cover anyone deep and you were just going to let them run? Or what was the story there? Well, I'm just really glad you brought this up because, you know, now I have a chance to, to talk about how, like, this is a really good case study of how not to coach a team. And so... Uh, <laughs> On both sides. <laughs> you know, this was, this was the, the end of a frustrating season in a number of ways. And, and there's a lot of good lessons learned from, from, from me as my growth as a coach. Uh, we started out the year with a victory over the Phoenix. Uh, I took a timeout to kind of save us when we were in late in the game. And that was the first and only victory of the season. So here, I think, you know, at this point, we had come in with some pretty good expectations. And um, the morale, I think, had gotten pretty low because the previous year we had some good wins. We were pretty close to making the playoffs. And so we wanted to have high goals. And you're at the end of the season. It's It's kind of hard. It doesn't feel good. So. I think a lot of things fell apart here, and, and we just were not doing a good job of playing defense. That's pretty much uh, the same thing that was going on in Phoenix land um, at the time. We were struggling in a, in a lot of games. We were we were in a lot of games, but we w- were never able to really secure a lead. And those deep shots were, were something that we were giving up, but it was something that we were also taking advantage of. So, sure, we, we kept telling our team to keep shooting deep, if the, especially if we had a opportunity going downwind and uh because it was a little windy that day from what i recall uh yeah uh it was just uh, defensively I, I don't think we did a that great of a job of of taking away what what, what we were what we like to do on offense frankly i enjoyed watching this game i i really did i i loved how the give and go on the phoenix and new york they, i mean rochester were just amazing i mean when we look at the phoenix offense nowadays and even in the spinner days the Hamlets kind of hold on to this a little more. They more think about swings. They kind of hit some inside flicks here and there. But the, the handler movement on a Phoenix, even though they were a losing team, was so quick, so fast. It was really fast-paced, Steve. Like, what, what did you do to coach that? Like, everyone was cutting. Everyone was moving. The, the conditioning was impeccable. I don't know what you were doing, but it was so fast-paced the whole time. Even at the end of the game, people are sprinting deep for hucks. It's, it's crazy, Steve. Like, how'd you get the handler movement going? That, that was something that we focused on from the beginning of the year that, that year. Um, with the uh, width of the AEDL field, we wanted to, to, to spread the field wide, like kind of like a um, uh, a uh, host stack. But we also wanted to have the, our handlers wear our strength that particular year. We only really had uh, uh, K-Dub and Brian McGurr 
to uh, was really one of our, our deep shots, our, our, our deep uh, cutter guys on offense. So we, since we were didn't have very many of those guys, we were really focused on running a lot of homies and working our offensive sets coming from our uh, our cuts coming from our handler position rather than coming from down the field because we didn't really feel that comfortable in having those guys get into that lane and get open for us. Do you think that was all the personnel or is it, is there something that you're telling players that you would want them to want to tell them now? Well, um, there's a whole bunch I want to tell them now that I didn't tell them back then. I mean, uh, I didn't do very much. I, I didn't do a very, I didn't do very much coaching per se as I did more of uh, firing people up and getting them psyched to go out there and wear the, uh, get to getting to me, getting to wear the, Philadelphia Phoenix jersey with Philadelphia on the front of your jersey on the on right there. I mean, I think that was a big deal and it was an honor. And I wanted the guys to play with honor in front of a lot of people and have success. And uh, it just wasn't coming to fruition that particular year. I mean, we we had a, a lot of good players on the team. Um, we had a we had uh, it was it was very factioned as far as like. It was a click of a group from one school, a click of a group from another area, a click of a, new, a group from like Millersville, like a click from Westchester, Pensbury. Um, so we were trying to get this eclectic mix of players and trying to get them to gel in the one team. And that was particularly challenging that that year, especially in the beginning. So what we were trying to do is we were running a lot of like homies and a lot of dominator uh, type offensive sets to get our handler movement going to help our cutters downfield know when to get open. Speaking of playing honorably, uh, I felt like there were a lot of calls in this game that weren't called by the refs and that you guys came out and were playing super aggressive. And there's a point, I think it's three to two, uh, a Rochester hook goes off and a Rochester player um, is in the end zone. It looks like they're going to make it. And a Phoenix player just climbs on top of them basically and rides them into the ground. And starts jogging away, and there's no call. And on the sideline, because the camera is next to the Rochester sideline, you can hear someone scream, they're running into our players. And whoever the player was that got ran into, he did. It was a foul. <laughs> he takes his shirt, and he puts it over his head in his frustration as he's walking away. So he has no idea where his guy goes. His guy will score, possibly because he had his shirt over his head instead of looking where he was going. But then later, and, and this happens a couple times, that Philly will take advantage of a, a pretty blatant foul that's not called. and. Uh, Rochester's like getting angrier and angrier on the sideline and you can hear them yelling and you can see the body language on the field. And then eventually, uh, Brian, you call a timeout. And from that point on, uh, Rochester just starts hitting Philly players as much as they're getting hit. Do you know if that was intentional? Because you were like, <laughs> it's time now. I really couldn't tell you. I mean, I, I do remember getting really angry in this game as I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later, but, uh, the, you know, it, it, I think there was a lot of us um, not being focused and I have a tendency to not like it, even if calls are going against us, if we can't just like go and play. So I, I don't know. I don't think the speech ever was going to be, hey, <laughs> go out there and be a goon squad. Um, <laughs> I think the speech was more around we need to focus up and we need to play hard and we need to go ahead and uh, uh, just be focused on our man and winning our matchup. So um I'm not pleading the fifth on that. I just really don't remember. <laughs> it was a while I'll, ago. I'll I'll come I'll come clean here on the burning burn. 
I, uh, I, my, I told my players to be totally aggressive. I told them to go in there and, uh, you know what I mean? It's the AUDL. They're referees. And if the referees are going to make calls, then we're going to make them make calls. So to go ahead there and be as aggressive as possible. I mean, there was a guy on my team. I remember Brett Sawyer, who was just a defensive hound. He was just somebody you sicked on somebody and let him play defense. And when he was able to be aggressive and go out there and like he was one of the guys that was laying out a lot, especially in the first quarter there that you saw um, on the far sideline. And he was there were there were borderline fouls or whatever, but I really liked his aggressive play. And I, I told all the guys on the team to do that. I told them to do that in the very beginning of the season after playing the D.C. Breeze because the D.C. Breeze were pushing us around and. It was one of those deals where, like, look, you know, like we might not win very many games this year, but I will be held. I'll be damned if we're going to get pushed around in this league. There was a lot in the early, early AUDL, a lot of stories you hear players coming off where people were doing a lot of shirt pulling and things of that nature. And, and clearly, you know, over the line of where it should have been. And I think things have gotten a lot better since then. But this is definitely like a throwback game to that yeah, level yeah, of physicality. Yeah, yeah, it is. No question about that. You know. Yeah. I wasn't. I'm, don't get me wrong. I didn't. I didn't tell the team to play dirty. I wasn't trying to sit there and tell the team to uh, to, to be nefarious by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I was telling them to be be aggressive and to to push that line a little bit. Yeah. Marvish. To be honest, to be honest, when I was looking at this game, even like your defensive marks. When we look at the Phoenix now, nowadays, I mean, they get broken all the time like so many times and when I was looking at this game I mean like you really rarely saw a break uh go, if you're forcing flicks they were going to throw a flick and it might be inside a little bit but they were going to throw a flick and it was very very physical marks and, and the refs did call sometimes your players just come up and shove someone right in the chest with their chest and it would get called sometimes but like the marks were so aggressive that they were definitely forced to throw that flick if they were being forced that way and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being aggressive i was gonna ask steve and bj did you have any issues with like injuries i'm looking at every player here just laying out it's ridiculous everyone's laying out everyone's playing so hard i mean you just see passion they're just playing so hard and so fierce and maybe that's the passion you were talking about wearing a philadelphia jersey but it was ridiculous everyone's laying out steve like do you have any injuries and people are laying out on people's backs and uh <laughs> some shoulder uh, some laying out right in someone's chest and stuff like. Do you have any injuries happen like that? Uh, I'm, <clears throat> I mean, 2014 was a while ago, so it's a little bit hard to talk about who got injured or whatever. But I, I do remember going deep into our roster by the end of the year uh, due to some players not being able to finish the entire season. But no, I, I lauded that effort and I lauded how well that they, uh, the guys played uh, with, with that passion. And uh, and with that aggression, um, Daryl Stanley was on my coaching staff that particular year, along with Charlie Hoppus. And uh, I remember one particular practice that we were we were tired of getting our marks broken. And we spent a good hour, hour and a half of the practice, which like we only had the field for two hours or whatever. But we worked on marking uh, a marking drill and we got our we got our we figured out who could mark and who couldn't and where we were going to put them on the d-line and who they were going to cover and that whole particular thing because uh i mean we were we were trying to find any edge we could to uh to be better i feel like defense has evolved a lot also in the last six years there's so the big handler on your team brian uh with the hat you said his name was greg weichman yeah, Greg Wakeman from Fredonia. 
<laughs> SUNY Fredonia. <laughs> so Greg Wakeman, that that guy throws. Uh, first of all, he is the kind of player who I'm sure he's a very nice guy. But if he was playing in the league right now, not on my team, I would be furious at him. He would be a player that, like I constantly said, with a little bit of like salt on my tongue every time I said it. But he only has two throws. He either hucks it or he throws like an inside break to someone cutting in. Uh, and I feel like after our talk, especially with Nate, and after watching um, some of your teams play, Brian, that nowadays we just watch someone, you know, after two points of that, or not even because we have film on everybody, Nate or any of the coaches in the AUDL would be like, look, just sit on this guy's inside. If he's going to throw around, make him throw around, and we'll switch Ds. Uh, uh, on these roll cuts and he's not dancing in the backfield he's only making you know his dump cuts are very simple so steve there's not a single switch this whole game no one switches <laughs> everyone's staying home I, I don't know like i didn't switch either in 2014 when i was playing it's possible that like that is a newer concept they were switching then and bracketing was common but doing like a lot of switches a lot of time there, there's a couple of things you know based on like the intensity of this game i think you know both teams I don't want to speak for Steve here and for the rest of the Phoenix, but we knew this, you know, we played three times this year and this was the game on the schedule where we knew that we had like a really good chance to win. And so the intensity was automatically going to be up because you're just going to go and it feels, you feel confident that you can take this game. And the other thing is like, you know, it's funny to look at these breaks and things. Um, the, the Rochester dragons, like, just like, you know, you were talking about Steve with the kind of the clicks on Philadelphia the Rochester Dragons were a team made up from like SUNY Fredonia, which is five hours away from Albany. I lived in Albany and coached the Dragons from three hours away. And yeah. then you had players in Buffalo, Syracuse, Ithaca, uh, New York that were traveling all around to try to be at these games. And so we didn't practice in the regular season. This is this is just us doing it. So part of the thing that you're seeing with, with the breaks and with Greg Wakeman is this Wakeman has more throws than that inside in those hucks. He's a terrific hucker. More often than not, we had a better chance of scoring when he was going to take that shot. But we're also running a horizontal stack, so the, the around break space isn't open. So you have that third handler in the way on the horizontal, so you're not going to see him throw those long swings like you would in a vertical. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's straightforward. But uh, Talk about know. getting our marks crushed. You guys were getting that disc up through that center handler pretty much any time you wanted it to start the disc. In that in this particular game, well, it was our best shot. So you know, it was. Uh, there were some games where it worked really well with Greg Wakeman and Kevin Quinlan, who's now of Montreal, um, who were college teammates and uh, would play really well together. Um, and they would have kind of that like connection you could take advantage of. But a lot of times we had turnovers just from not lack of practice, lack of being on the same page, and and things of that nature. Some good players in this game for Rochester. David Ferraro wins a club title with Boston in 2016, guarding Bo for almost the entirety of the game. Uh, like, talked about Kevin Quinlan. Greg Wakeman actually had a U24 tryout. I think his favorite story from that is he skied some prominent people. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so there have been guys here who have done some things. But other than that, it was trying to put together a team that didn't get to practice very much. Yeah, it's, it was funny to, for me to watch uh, Kenny Wells um, have such a great game in, in, in this particular uh, against Rochester. I mean, he he was skying the, the, the hell out of everybody back in there and um, just uh, really coming down with some big plays for the Phoenix. Um, and, then, and then he took that hiatus for a while. Now he's back on the team this year, you know. So it's, uh, it's, it's just it was it was funny to watch K-Dub play. 
um, back then and uh, and to know that he's going to be playing on the team this particular year if the if the season starts. Circling back to the, the, the league being different, Matt Esser used to tell me that when he started playing in 2013, when the mark would pivot, he would just grab the disc. So they couldn't quickly move the disc around because he would just grab it every time they went to transition from backhand to forehand. Talking about a different era in the sport. I mean, it, it, the referees weren't sure what they would call or what they wouldn't call, and you know what I mean. It, I mean, as, as a as a coach, you 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 wanted to you wanted to find out where that line was. You know what I mean. If the if the if the line is blurred, then you got to make it more clear. You know, so I mean, it, it was it was one of those one of those things. You know, the, I equate the old AEDL to the. Uh, the opening scene in Rocky where he's fighting Spider Rico in the church basement, like you know what I mean, and he gets headbutted and all that other kind of nonsense in the ring. That was the early days of the AEDL, man. It was uh, it was rough and tumble, and uh, I don't know what uh, what what Brian's experiences were like, but uh, riding on the uh, fifteen person van, we didn't have one of those luxury buses with the bathroom in the back, man. We were we were <laughs> we were roughing it up to Rochester and and then the can. All that other stuff. Yeah, you know, it, it used to be uh, like you said, driving out there. I think players were taking their own cars, and uh, you know, going up to Toronto and going all around was just like uh, it was long drives. And uh, now that for those long road trips, I get a nice plane ticket, so I'm pretty happy about that. It's, it's definitely not the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things have come a long way in the AUDL. That's for that's for sure. You know what I mean? And uh, it's fun to see. You know, I wanted to bring up the timeout calls in the, in this particular game, if uh, if I may. I mean, uh, uh, like there was a there was a, like you know not not to not to brag, uh, but this is <laughs> was was one, of the, was one of the things I particularly enjoyed about being a coach in the AUDL was calling a timeout and then securing a break. And in this in this particular game, I had to, their Phoenix took three timeouts. In the in in this game, and they all led to to uh, to to Phoenix breaks right away, and it was uh, it was uh, it was that 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 made me that made me smile. And then uh, on the on the flip side, there was there was timeouts. I think you you took uh, the, what three or four uh, used all your timeouts, and I don't think you you only scored on one of them, and that was after a turnover. So uh, I was uh, particularly particularly proud of the uh, timeout calls in that particular game. I don't. Well, what are you trying to say, Steve? You think you're better than me? No, no not at all. Not at all. No. I've, no never, yeah. I've, never, I've never hoisted a trophy, I'll tell you that, man. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, yeah. Yeah, you guys, I mean, we didn't we didn't take advantage. I think we have uh, – is this a game where I use a timeout and uh, we don't – you know, that's in between points? Because that's never a good thing if you're using a timeout in between points. <laughs> like right, it's right, too, right. You got, you got other problems going on. So, uh yeah, I, I did see we did convert on one of them, um, and it, it it was just uh, it was too tough for us to have, I guess, the chemistry and because we make some plays. I'm pretty excited in this game. I'm seeing some nice layout Ds, but uh, yeah, you, uh, yeah, I got you I got out coached. Jeez, no, 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 <laughs> oh, don't say that. My word. Uh, but uh, yeah, the. Uh, you, the, the Rochester Dragons came in, and you, you definitely, as 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 a member of the Phoenix, you, you knew that they were coming in for blood. You know what I mean? They wanted to they wanted to win that game in in the in the worst way, and they kept coming. You guys definitely didn't give up there, you know. And you pulled within the within. Well, it was seven. They had the lead. 
it was uh, it was sixteen fourteen. You guys, uh, the Rochester Dragons held that lead, and uh, it was the Phoenix jumped out to a twenty five twenty lead, but then you pulled back within twenty five twenty three late in the fourth quarter after getting two consecutive breaks. But that was uh, right after you kind of lit into the team a little bit there, BJ. Uh, you were, you were, I I heard you yelling on the sideline is, uh, you know, match, match, match up by counting off, get it right. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Well, that was, that's, that's actually a memory that I I think about quite often because really the, the reason for that is that like, I, I feel like, and I said it before kind of half joking, but there's a lot of things in this game I regret and that, that there's a certain amount of intensity that can be good as a coach. I feel like. But when you go over the like when you really lose it, which I you know, that's not my finest moment, you're trying to get people to pay attention. But, you know, it's just I felt like the team in some ways. Yeah, we got some breaks after that. But I think we also played scared. I think a lot of people tuned out. And uh, because you guys end up, uh, you know, we, we bring it close a little bit and get a couple breaks, but we don't I don't think we're playing for each other at that point. I think it's a different type of playing and. I just felt like it was it's it's not something I've done since. So there's sometimes it's good to have the intensity, but when you really go like kind of go over the top, I think uh, you can kind of lose players' attention, and it's it wasn't a good ending for us. So uh, the problem was that we just had a we had two consecutive points where we were coming down the field and leaving people wide open because we didn't have our matchups, and so that seemed you know that's from one level that's fairly basic to get down, but we just needed to count off and it could have been said and, and ra- like could have rallied the team in a more positive way. And, and that's something I'd try to do today. So take notes, people there. You can certainly go with a negative route, but it only works so many times. Uh, and then you really have to, I think it's much better when a team wants to play for each other. And, and this, this Rochester team with all of the people from, from different parts of New York state, it's, it can be hard to, to generate that, that team buy-in. So you see it in the in the way that like we turn it over and kind of just mishaps or have a simplistic offense, but it also it's really easy to work hard for somebody that you know well. It's harder to do that when when you don't know each other as well. I uh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, there was a um, a uh, play that I still think about, and uh, when we were down in D.C. playing against the Debris and uh, Brett Matsuka had the disc, and it was on the goal line, and he and he. He actually, it was right at the end of the first half, right? And it was a buzzer-beating throw. And he threw a scuba, but he jumped off the ground to throw to scuba. Like, he had no points of contact on the ground whatsoever when he threw the disc. So, I mean, clearly that's a travel, right? And, uh, like, the referees didn't call it, and they counted the goal. And I I, I lost it. I Like, you know what I mean? I, I was all yelling at the refs and, and like, like asking them to take the point off the board and the whole, the whole deal. And, uh, I lost my team for that, for the third quarter in that particular game, you know, and it wasn't until I calmed down and, um, like make everybody, I, I made sure everybody knew that, that things were okay, that, uh, that we started playing for each other again. So you, Brian, you, you hit that right on the head, man. That, that couldn't be more right. I mean, if there's any aspiring coaches out there, like when you when you lose your stuff, I mean, it, it doesn't really do a lot of good most of the time. Steve, you kind of lost it at a ref in this game, too. And I didn't realize it at the time. There's a ref who I had written down earlier. The way that they count stalls 
was the silliest counting I've ever seen. It's it's more of like a, a general hand wave. It's arbitrary timing. He's not like and I was like, this is this is such a goofy way to do this. I wonder why. And then later I hear you, Steve, yo, Bailey, there was no whistle. I realized it was Bailey Saul, past and future announcer for the Eagles that was refing that game, which I had no idea at the time. Uh, and I think his son now plays for Brian. And there are a lot of phantom whistles in that game, and they all go in the favor of the Phoenix. So I thought it was funny that that was the thing that you chose to yell about. There's a, uh, I think, it, going into half, there's a buzzer beater. Uh, or it's, it's the end of the third quarter. There's a buzzer beater. It's completed. The Rochester player makes a great play on the disc, skies someone. He, like, spikes it. He's, like, walking off really proud. And Bailey's trying to get everyone back on the field because he didn't blow the whistle to check it in. He had blown the whistle to announce that the foul had happened. Five seconds after the, the, the player had established themselves. So then if they send the disc back, it was a full field huck, and the, they don't get the completion. So there are a lot of phantom whistles. I thought it was funny that that's what you laid into about. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, you know what I mean? You're not doing your job if you're not uh, getting on the refs a little bit. Uh, you know what I mean? I guess. I don't know. I wasn't trying to, to call anybody out, but uh, at, at that particular like, you know, it was it was tough to it was tough enough to know the rules and to relay the rules to the players at that particular time uh, for the refs to uh, to be making mistakes was uh, tough to swallow uh, sometimes as well, especially when you're in a in a tight game that you think is winnable, you know. And uh, Brian, it's funny that you mentioned being angry because there's only one comment on this YouTube video. And it's it. <laughs> Uh, 49 minutes and 48 seconds. That coach is so mad. <laughs> RIT Dragons. <laughs> they know they call you on it. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, you know, the Dragons have a couple more seasons after this, but uh, this, this was certainly my last game. Um, but, you know, going back to the refereeing, I remember being in D.C. the first year with the Dragons, and the, we were taking in football refs to ref the games, and they were like, wow, like, you know, like they, they were just letting so much contact go. <laughs> it was just like, come on, man, that's a foul. And they're like, what? That's not that's not a foul. And you're like, oh, that's not a foul at all. That's a tackle. That's a tackle. <laughs> doing, doing it. To, I mean, I've been in I've been an observer and I've been in an active an active observer where you count stalls before for for uh, a couple of tournaments. Uh, and it's a hard job. You have to maintain a lot of focus and, and getting the whistles right is actually low key hard, but it, it's something that you just need to do, you know, have practice at. It can be once you get going and you do it enough, it becomes second nature. But I don't blame when we have like kind of the rookie referees. I don't, I can understand why it's happening. And it's still really frustrating when you feel like a call is kind of random or you, it's just the procedure is messed up and you, you're not really playing fair in a sense. So that, that, that feels really aggravating. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a, there's a few players I want to point out that like, that had a good game and for for the Phoenix in this particular uh, in this particular game. I mean, besides K Dub and Sawyer, I mean Brian McGurr played really well for the Phoenix. I mean, Kyle Wolf, Steve Rosso played really well. Uh, I mean, uh, there's a there's a bunch of of, of players that uh, on the Phoenix from back then that uh, that. Uh, I mean, Sean Mott. Sean Mott had a good game. This particular game it was kind of like, kind of weird to watch him, Michelle, a little bit, to w watch him start his growth to be becoming an All Star in the NBA. Dave Hampson, that. current current coach of the Phoenix, also has a big game. 
Dave Hampson has a great game. Yeah, current coach of the Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, Brian, you said um, you responded, I guess, to a tweet that Tina Booth had about how your superpower is you're very loud on the field. You, you, Everyone can always hear you wherever you are. And I really appreciated it this game because there's no announcer. And I like my mind kind of wandered. And then you yelling something, throw <laughs> me back in. <laughs> oh man yeah no it's a it's a blessing and a curse because it means that i'm i can give instructions about defenses like there's a lot of defenses i like to do that transition quickly and so you know there's i remember having a conversation with will sloan who's a member of the dragons here from albany and and formerly of a club team called destructors and we were talking about how like in the audl you almost kind of have like three to four defenses per point like this was like the conversation back the dream back in 2014 you'd have something that would gunk up the pole play, and then I'd yell a code word, and we switch out of it and play our like defense from like twenty yard line to twenty yard line, um, and then get tighter and tighter in the second half of the field, and then play something separate in the end zone. And we never got there or anything, but that's the advantage is I can talk to marks about giving kind of talk from across the field if I see something. Um, but then you can get too much into joysticking players as, you know, I think Jeff Snader is kind of famous for, or just yelling at people what to do exactly in the exact moment. And there's a, there's a sequence here where I'm just straight up yelling at a player to just, just cut deep right now. I know they know it. I don't care. Just go right now. And I'm like giving instructions to the offense verbatim and you don't really want to be there. So, uh, that's, that's the downside of it. I think we, I think we both, both learned a lot from our 2014 coaching experience, you know? And uh, it actually, it's like for real though. It's been uh, it's been really nice to see you rise to the level that you've risen to uh, there, uh, Brian. Um, you know, winning a well-deserved championship last year was uh, was was nice to see. I was very happy for you. Yeah, but you know, apparently a bit of an asterisk on the undefeated. You know, apparently from the last podcast. You hey, know, uh, look, I, I thought the rules were on lightning delays. I'm pretty sure. I want, okay, we're gonna bring this up right now. I'm sorry, I gotta get to All right, let's let's do this. Let's do this. Okay, let's go. Because well, I want to get, get an official ruling here about. Wait, 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 wait. Before before we get to that, Ryan, how do you, how do you get a job as a head coach of the New York Empire after having a one in thirteen season? Like, <laughs> tell me your seat. Like, why is Steve sitting here? Without a coaching job, and, and, and you're here, you know, coaching a championship team with star players. Like, how does that happen, man? Yeah, well, it's, you know, not like, it's not like Steve also coached an undefeated season <laughs> in any of his years either. We weren't coming from. No. I, I, love, I love Meta asking here, you know, the, the, hard, uh, the hard-hitting questions, uh, you know. No, about... I, I just want tips. I want tips, like, and when I go to interview for jobs, I want to know, like, what's the right thing to say, you know? Yeah, I, you know. Uh, uh, the, it is funny because I did tweet about this that I think this Rochester Dragons record is I'm still one game below 500 after the undefeated season in my all-time career, um, and this game is the reason for that. So you know we get to celebrate the reason why I have a losing record in the AUDL. Uh, <laughs> but a lot of it, it's it is really interesting because you know the uh, I appreciate what you said, Steve, about the growth. Uh, I spent the next five years trying to get really good and. Really, I, I it's one of those things where like if I could re-coach the dragons, I would I would do so many things different, and and like just it, it's incredible like to see and reflect on all the errors that you can make as an early coach without the experience. But the reason I get the New York job is is because of my relationship with New York Club. So being able to go and form the relationship with those players and and have 
those kind of personal connections and, and show that growth. If I don't do have that kind of growth in club and stay broadcasting in the UDL and, and kind of showcase that I can do it, then um, you're not going to get the call. It's not going to be like five years later after having a one in 13 season, you've done nothing else in ultimate. Um, so that was the main reason to get the job with the empire is having those relationships with New York people. And then since then it's been, you know, wonderful working with the Stevens um, and, and the relationship with them. So I got to shout them out because uh, they, uh, they definitely do a lot to, to keep the empire rolling. They're good people. But, yeah. yeah. Paul, Paul Stevens is one of the, one of the better owners in the league, man. He's he's class act for real. Yeah. They do Steve. a great job. Steve, did you hire your coaching staff? I mean, I'm looking at your coaching staff and it's like, Daryl Stanley's on it. Charlie Hoppus is on it. You're on it. I'm mean, looking at Daryl Stanley, and he's a phenomenal coach for DC. And Charlie Hoppus is in charge of the pop program in Philadelphia. Like, how do you guys not win with those coaches? Uh, well, it was frankly like much like Brian just said. I mean, um, that that first year in the AUDL, you, you you were. I mean, I I particularly was flying by the seat of my pants as as a coach you know what i mean i was i was kind of making it up as i went along and uh I, I was really hoping to get a second chance with the uh with the phoenix and to to implement all the things i've learned from that first year because the learning curve after that that particular year was huge you know from the beginning of that year to the end of that year the uh the phoenix were a much improved team you know but I mean, I the reason why we we didn't win is um, a, a big reason was was I I didn't do a good enough job to put the guys in position to be successful, you know. And uh, what what are the things that I would do different with that team now is, I mean, the list is too, um is too long to mention on this particular podcast. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, I would I there's so much I would do differently with the Phoenix um, that with that team, and I I, I felt like we would we the next year that we would have a, a, a decent sh- shot at going 500, you know, as opposed to being two and 12, like we were. And, um, it just, uh, that opportunity never presented itself. And it was just one of those things where, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't hire the guys on the staff. They more or less were in place and I was lucky that they were there. You know, they were really good, uh, coaching staff. I mean, I, I remember, I remember getting together for the um, <clears throat> to give you an idea how ill prepared I was for the uh, the coach in the AUDL. Um, back then, I would call lines um, just out of my head. You know what I mean? I would say, <laughs> I would say, I want this player, I want that player, I want this player, I want that player on the field. You know, and I remember sitting at breakfast with Daryl and uh, Charlie that, that before our first AUDL game. I think it might have been against Rochester, and uh, he they they sat there and they said uh, they're like, well, you know, what are what's your O line and what's your D line look like, Coach? And I go, oh, I'm just going to call it as I see, as as I on the on the fly. I'm just going to do whatever. And I remember they pulled out a piece of paper and started writing names down and uh, all this other stuff. And I was like, oh boy, uh, I'm I'm in over my head. But 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 by the by mid season, that was a regular occurrence. We would have a printout. We would have our O and our D line. We would have our our 20 man roster. We would have our practice squad. We uh we were much more organized. But it, there was a learning curve that particular year. And, um, it was just, you know, I was, uh, I, I, I didn't, I, I could have done a much better job. That's for sure. You know, to kind of piggyback on that sentiment. I, I, Steve, I don't know if you feel this way, but I felt this way in my career that 
for from like 2014, like every single year after that, I have felt like I've gotten like a, I would like almost quantify as like a hundred percent better at coaching. Like every year, my ability feels like it doubles because you just learn so much of what not to do, which is yeah. like it's <laughs> like you could it, like there's a lot of coaches, you know, like I think early coaches can have sometimes they can try to do too much and do things. And I'm not saying, you know, any of us like did that in that way, but like you, you kind of learn, OK, here are the things that I know that are bad to do and I'm not going to do them and I'm not going to allow my players to do them. And if you do that, you're a pretty good coach already. And then adding on the stuff that just makes a team even better is like that just comes with experience. I don't I don't know of anybody that can kind of come in without either playing experience or just a lot of years of coaching and being around the sport that you can come in in the first year and just be like, oh, I'm going to be a success. Right. It's just really hard. There's just so many things to how you organize, how you communicate, how you like how players respond. Like you, you kind of as a coach, you have to like shape your own like you have to be true to yourself, but shape yourself to be what players need you to be communicate in different fashions to them how they can get it how they can understand it you're being a teacher you're being a motivator you're being the head honcho and doing making like ceo type decisions all at the same time and it's just a lot to deal with yeah my bucket hat didn't go over too well either i always i thought that uh, my uh my bucket hat that i would wear during games would become a fashion statement for the phoenix and boy did that just fail miserably yeah, you have that problem too, man. I get, I mean, every year I'm trying to like everybody's criticizing the sweatshirt I'm wearing or something like that, and so I've got to find an outfit that works for everybody. Oh yeah, seriously, like, like, I didn't know, I didn't know coaching was going to make uh, such an impact on the fashion industry. <laughs> right now, so Shaggy, who's the best dressed coach in the ADL? It's not me. Um, so it used to be Daryl Stanley by a pretty wide margin. He used to wear like all white jumpsuits to games. And then we asked him on the podcast who he thought it was. And he said the coach of the Tampa Bay Dragons or, or sorry, <laughs> Tampa Bay Cannon. So Tampa I'm going Roca. with, uh, yeah, with Roca, but only choice. based on Daryl, who knows more than I do. Nice. The, um, Harvish, what were some of your, uh, favorite plays of the game? Uh, the greatest I also was pretty cool. I mean, we saw one last week with Arcata, and this one was, I thought, infinitely better. <laughs> he really had it timed. I mean, just, let's just talk about the plays in this game. I, I can see why it's up on YouTube. We had two Callahans by the Phoenix. Like, what was going on with your dump sets, BJ? Come on. <laughs> what, what, what dump sets? <laughs> yeah, there, there, weren't, there weren't any such things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is just, we didn't get to practice much. Your backfield is of a guy from Ithaca, New York, a guy from Albany, New York, and a guy from, uh, like, Fredonia. Those are all two hours apart from each other. The only time they get chemistry is in games. And so, you know, I would have been better off of being having, like, a Rochester line, having an Albany line, and just doing that instead just so the people could play together um, and kind of balancing out that chemistry. Um, that would have been – that would have been – a nice job, but I mean, this is one of the things that just changed so much. Like, I would never design an offense this way. Every time a cutter gets it, they just bounce it right back to the handler. It's, I mean, it feels like to me that it's, it's like how high schoolers or middle schoolers learn how to play. So I, I think this is a lot of rudimentary tactics, and we just didn't have enough practice time to to really get everything in, involved. No, um, that, that makes that makes sense. I mean, it's definitely. I mean, I lived in upstate New York for a year and it's it's tough and I, I play frisbee in Ithaca area and Binghamton area and it's it's actually extremely tough to get a lot of people from different areas together I know I know they tried doing that for uh some townies team that they had in Ithaca <laughs> yep. they had a bunch of 
they had a bunch of people coming in from different areas and and like what they would do is they're like hey we have a roster spot for you and you you could just show up when sectionals and regionals happen and 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 that's it and i i definitely understand how frustrating that can be especially when you have guys that have been practicing and know the system pretty well we, we had the phoenix the phoenix would practice next to aa garthwaite stadium right um that's that's what was our quote unquote practice field and in that the, like parking lot field in the parking lot field yeah and it's it's where we played the ottawa outlaws last year because it was a field that we could tear up during that rainstorm as, uh, as opposed to having a rain out at aa garthwaite so that where that that's where you almost got struck by lightning, Shaggy, where you were doing the announcing from the top of the uh, press box facing the out of the stadium. Yeah, but anyway, that's work. Yeah, yeah, that was that was some dangerous. You should have got hazard pay for that one. Uh, but anyway, um, I I remember because the uh, the the, uh, the neighbors ended up calling the uh, owner of the team at the time, George Harris, and uh, they were complaining that the players were getting changed out of their. Uh, regular clothes and into their ultimate uniforms right there in front of the houses that had no, there's no <laughs> wall around the practice field or trees or anything. It's just like, it, like there's the practice field and then there's uh, a road and then there are houses <laughs> back there. Right. And so like the neighbors are like doing their dishes or they're looking out the front window and there's, there's Hampson with the, like playing ultimate with no shirt on you know what i mean like running around concha hawking down there like with the like like he's half naked or whatever man and it was uh i mean it was just a different time man it was just a different time like it's practicing. only six years ago and it's a different time and i agree 100 <laughs> percent, but it really is it's only six years ago which is incredible well, well in the grand scheme of the league right i mean what's this the eighth or ninth year the aedl mm-hmm I mean, like you know, year year uh, year two, year three. I mean, the gr- the growth of the league between then and now has been astronomical. You know, what I mean, so and then, and it's, I think the growth of all the teams have gone up. I mean, like just taking it how how seriously everyone's taking it nowadays is uh, it's good to see. You know, what I mean, it's uh, really refreshing. You know, and uh, I think it's where the the sports headed in the right direction. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just, we, we, you know, I think people on this podcast, you know, I brought up the lightning thing before. And so I I think we we, we, talk about that. That's true. Let's get that out of the way. So it was my impression legitimately, it was my impression based on the rules and discussions we had that are like after the, the, the lightning delays that happened were that, you know, there should have been, first of all, there should have been another lightning delay called. I'm not. I'm yeah. not going to contest that. We we a see. We just, yeah, <laughs> two. We see two, definitely two, definitely two. Yes, but before, but like, I've been five lightning delays, Brian. I know, five. but no, but I mean, <laughs> and the game should have been called at that point if there were more lightning delays. But I was under the impression that after the amount of lightning delays that we had, that we the game was still not final, and that restarting it was the legal thing to do by the so, in the the rules of the of the of the league. So the the rules last year were three non-continuous lightning delays uh, are the amount that you're allotted. And if you remember, we had two lightning delays, and then the third one lasted like an hour because uh, it kept getting rolled back. Yep. And that one, after that one, it should be called because that's now multiple continuous lightning delays, which you're not supposed to have happen. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that wasn't clear in the game and then the bylaws. And so I'm going to say, you know, based on the Supreme Court ruling at the time, that the game was still valid to play. Well, the game so was, the, <laughs> no one's arguing the game wasn't valid. We just think that we should have won it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, man. I don't know about that. I like you did. You you do have the undefeated season, and you do have the trophy and all that kind of stuff, man. But uh, I think there's a little tiny asterisk that's sitting there, like that's in there that we that definitely needs to be discussed. That's for sure. Yeah. It was fourteen. It was fourteen eleven. It was after halftime. There was three lightning delays. Now, I don't know, man. That uh, that to me smells like a Phoenix victory. Oh, I, I don't know. I think the game kept playing. And as we could see, the refs here doesn't matter really what happens on the field. And so like 2014 precedence holds and uh, we're going to, you know, the game got played. <laughs> yeah, the game did get played and the, uh, the uh, Empire did come back and eventually win the game uh, to to your uh, to, to your uh, benefit. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, you guys were uh, you guys were a heck of a team last year. I mean, what I mean, very, very deep, very talented, very good. And uh, you seem to be able to flip a switch whenever you wanted to. Yeah, so, we uh, yeah we were pretty fortunate to pull that one out. I think that's an interesting dichotomy in that game. I'll say this last thing on it was that it's interesting because we we never talked about going undefeated, but in that game I didn't like how we were playing, and so I definitely tightened up and wanted our guys to compete. Like even if we had lost that game, like let's say another lightning delay gets called or they call the game. I didn't want us to just not care. And so, like, I wasn't – if we had lost that game, I wouldn't have been like, oh, man, guys, we really have to put it together for the playoffs. I would have just been like, cool, let's go into the playoffs. Let's go play hard. Um, we never – you know, there's definitely an unspoken thing there because I think the players wanted to play hard to preserve that. But I, I didn't care about going undefeated. At that, you know, we wanted to win a championship, so. Yeah, you had bigger fish to fry for sure. It's but, also uh, easy to say that after you went undefeated. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to contest that, but at the same time, I mean, we just never talked about it. I have a question for you, you both of you, I guess, but about like about the Rochester game. So, Huck, those two Callahans that you mentioned, they both come on the back of pretty um, – first of all, they're great Rochester plays, both of the plays that lead up to that, and they're pretty uh, – and then there's like a weird stop. So the first one – Philly tries a full field huck. There's a great Rochester D. And then the person who got the D walks towards the disc as if they're going to pick it up and is waved off by someone that we don't see because the camera's like, whatever. And then somebody else picks up that disc. And that gives the player who hucked the disc enough time to book it all the way down the field. And they are the people who get the Callahan. So that was a weird, like, difference in the big D versus what happened. And then in the other one, that was one of the best defensive plays of the game that Rochester will have. And it's so good that the Phoenix player falls over injured afterwards. For I, It didn't look like there was a lot of contact, but that's what ends up happening. And Brian, you sub on. Uh, in my notes, I label him Big Hat, but uh, Wakefield? Wake, Wakeman. Wakeman, Greg Wakeman. You sub on Greg Wakeman, who now has to come on like, from the sideline, he hasn't. He's not not really in that point, and he's also not really in with whoever the dump is because he throws it to them, and they make a a move downfield, and then the dump D is just standing there and they get to catch it. So after huge plays like that, to have a weird stoppage that the handler then has to walk up to. That I mean, I don't know if you could coach that, but as a player, as a player, that would never have affected me because my motor is so low that the stoppage would have seemed the same to me as a big play. But I I feel like Callahan's are bad, but both those Callahan's I give 
some allowance to the Rochester players who threw them. Yeah, I think it's hard. It's it's always hard to come up with a stoppage. I mean, I think when you deal with sports science in general, and we could go and you could have an entire podcast on like the psyche, but like in gymnastics, there's like this, you never want the gymnast to ever get stopped as they're beginning their routine because like there's been moments where a referee will like hold somebody for a second and that just allows them t- too much time to think. Like if a referee, if somebody gets distracted during their free throw routine, somebody gets distracted, you know, when going into it, it's uh, it, it can really mess you up. And so you have to like an ultimate, this happens frequently enough that you have to, you have to practice those situations. And so you have to do a good job of being prepared for those. And this chalks up to, uh, you know, Wakeman hasn't played with the D line all year. We haven't had the practices. And this happened this last year when we, we subbed on Jack Williams for the empire with the D line late in the game. And there was just simple miscommunication against DC um, and that's good. And Jack kind of reflected afterwards. He was like, Hey, I've, I've never played with the D line. I haven't played with these players before. So if you don't simulate that and in, in practice, you, you are, you're going to open yourself up to those types of miscommunications, those, those straight up Callahan's that you see. And uh, I'll just to piggyback on that a little bit uh, <clears throat> as a coach, I mean, initiating the disc is one of the harder things to do on offense. I mean, whether it's coming off a stoppage or you know, if you're walking the pull up to the line or as we, we used to do in, uh, uh, before the rule changes back in the day, um, you know, just getting that first pass off and getting the offense going and putting it in, getting it into the flow of the offense is, is, is a special talent from a handler. I mean, you just can't, uh, you know what I mean? You, you you just can't just expect a D-line cutter to come off the bench and pick up the disc and initiate it. You're, like Brian said, you're setting yourself up for disaster, you know? But uh, if you if you have a, a very talented individual handler um, that uh, can initiate that disc and get the flow of the offense going, that's that's worth it. He's worth his weight in gold. So, yeah. Steve, I, mean, Steve, I, I would love, I'd love for you to, like, come on as, like, a, assistant coach this year and just go and teach them how to like want a fast paced like handler set and also maybe you can get a good mark on for god's sake you know (laughs) (laughs) well thank you thank you for the compliment i don't think that's going to occur i i I like my safety my i like my safety in the perch of the booth thank you very much uh yeah who would call the game cyrus I'm, ta- I'm talking. About, I'm talking about one clinic, one practice clinic. You know. Oh, okay. All right. All right. I got you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Brian. I got a. I got a question for you. I mean, coming into uh, AA Garthwaite Stadium last year in the beginning of the year, you 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 put one on the Phoenix pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, and and then uh and then you and then you and then you came in uh you came in later that year in the uh, with the lightning delay game where the Phoenix were fighting particularly hard and like they 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 kept it within a twenty two twenty game. Um, what do you what did you see from the outside was the biggest growth from the Phoenix as far as from the beginning of the year to when they played you in that lightning delay game? Uh, I think it, it's it's hard to separate that because I think it's one of those games where we were resting some players in the second one. And the thing I really want to give the Phoenix credit for is, is they came out and played just on fire to start. Like Mott was playing well, everybody was kind of coming and you guys got some really good players. I mean, I'm a big fan of Ethan Fortin. Um, he's uh, I actually, so in this game is Ethan Fortin's brother, Connor Fortin, 44 is playing for the Rochester dragons. Um, and then I, I coach his younger brother, me and Connor now coach UConn together and we coach Seth Fortin, Ethan's younger brother. So I know Ethan's left for DC this year, um, but the offense was playing pretty well. 
Um, the defense was was doing a really good job of forcing us into bad decisions, and we were we were really not executing well in any sense. Um, and I think that just there's a lot of good chemistry that came out of the season. I think Mott's one of those players that can really take over a game, and you have really good defenders. I'm a big fan of uh, Mr. Dunn, so he's uh, he's an incredible athletic. Uh, defender. You didn't, you didn't play that game, man. Oh, well, you know, I, this is details I don't remember, so you can cut that one out. He was in the game where we were in New York, which was also much closer uh, than the first matchup, and he did a really good job there. Bryce Dunn did. Yeah, and that, that first game, really, the reason why it was it was not a close game was we it was very windy, and we took the advantage of going to upwind downwind line, so I switched my O and my D line, so I had my D line going downwind, and then I had Harper, Grant, Yacht, Everybody, you know, one of the big time players going upwind all the time and playing D even. And so they just had the capability to to put in a lot of really easy upwind goals. And then we get the downwind breaks, which is why that that goal margin was so high uh, in the first game. Well, the Phoenix also made a habit of getting blown out early in the season because we had followed up with a pretty devastating loss to Montreal. Well, this the, you guys are in the narrative business, so I don't blame you for this. But that's just like the one thing where it's like if you tell your team that, like we're like in the we're like, you know, we're just the type of team that kind of doesn't play this way. Like I heard Steve mention before of like, you know, third quarters for the Phoenix can be problematic. It's like as a broadcaster, you tell that story. It makes total sense. So I've got no beef with that. But as a coach, if you tell that story to your team of being like, man, why do we still have like why do we have third quarters where we just get. You know, we we either give up the leader, we don't play well. It, it it's it's one of those things that become a self fulfilling prophecy where you're just like, oh yeah, we just don't play well in these instances, and the players can tell themselves that, and they can they can uh, to to be in some bad. They don't play as confidently when a lot of the times it's just like, okay, maybe we're not coming out with enough energy, so we need to warm up more and have a, a different type of warm up going into the second half, so we're ready to go, or we need to have this type of mental focus. Um, a lot of times you see bad, you know, like changes in third quarters from teams because adjustments are made at halftime. You have enough time to sit around, think about what's going on. And so you're probably seeing a def- new defensive scheme being called out um, from like, you know, the first half to the second half. But anyway, that was that was a rant. No, I mean, that's, that's, that's true. But uh, like sometimes if you if you point out like, hey, guys, like your third quarters are just not good. Like you guys are coming out of half pretty flat. They kind of improve. Example of that is just like if we look up, talk about football, we talk about like coming out of half all the time, like the third quarter offense, defense from football. And, and, and every time uh, a, maybe a talking head criticizes the third quarter, maybe the next week you might see a better third quarter performance from that team because they've kind of focused on it, you know. But you're no. right. We did, we did kind of make a narrative here. Because even in this game, I mean, third quarter, we came out pretty flat. <laughs> You guys are supposed to, though. And, like, I've been in that position. I've been in the booth. You're supposed to make that narrative. It's the team's yeah. job to ignore it and to just go play. Mm-hmm. You're at your best when you're just not caring about what the situation is. And, you know, you need to know, obviously, strategically what you're doing. But when you're just doing and you're not thinking, you're playing your best. I will say I take a lot of joy in uh, not being responsible at all for the performance of the team and just well, being able to criticize it. Well, that's why Steve said, you know, he, he doesn't want to go back to the field. The safety of the booth is pretty great. You get to throw stones. You don't have to own up to anything. You're not responsible. I mean, I've been there. That's why I was there for four, you know, after the one in 13 season, I went to the booth for four years and I was pretty good. <laughs> There's safety in that booth there, man. And, uh, and, and Harvest, you, you don't want to sit there and like, like Brian saying, there's, there's a nuance to it. 
as as a as a coach, you don't want to tell the team outright, "Hey, you guys have been sucking in the third quarter, and how do we not suck in the third quarter anymore?" Like you can't be that kind of blunt about it, but you can make some kind of changes for the positive as a coach at halftime, like Brian was saying about adjustments that maybe you will spark the team to have a better start to a third quarter without having to tell the team that their third quarters have been bad. Like I, I think everybody knows when when they're not doing well. And uh, there's sometimes you don't have to bring it up the, all the, the, and make it public knowledge. And you just got to make a little slight change here or there to try to get the uh, ball rolling again in your direction. Steve, to be fair to you, I think that you're not working with the best version of even the players that you have on the team. Like I would, I watched Mott a lot this game because he was a familiar face. And I just think that like your team is a five or six win team if you have current 27, 28-year-old Mott on that team, just watching him play in that game. Like, he doesn't know how to lay out yet. He has a play where he uh, jumps over. He jumps on top of a guy, and his, like, uh, posterior is on the top of their head, and he drops it. And then he lands in such a way that I thought he tore his knee off, but he just gets up and jogs away like nothing happened. The current day Mott pulls that down easy-peasy. There's, uh, there's, there's a point, it's 25-21, where Mott's trying to go every other, and he's sprinting down the field going, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. And every time it passes just before they get there, that doesn't happen to the current day Mott. He screams as loud as he can until the person looks at him and gives a diss to him so that he can then dish it to the next person. So I mean, we were we were all a lot younger then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Six years ago. Uh, you know what I mean? And... Uh, uh, you know, I'm 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 very happy for Martin and to, to watch his growth. I remember sitting with Evan Lepler in the stands before a game at um, at AA Garthwaite Stadium, and 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 Evan was asking me like who to look for on the Phoenix in the future and who was going to be good. And and the only name I mentioned was Sean Mott. You know what I mean? Is uh, Sean Mott was going to be a future star in this league, and it was going to be evident. But back then, he was definitely raw. You know, and uh, there was uh, like there, like like I said, there has been there's been a learning curve and his has been tremendous and he's a star in this league now and uh, rightfully so. Steve, what was your favorite moment of the game? When <laughs> this is this is a little little selfish, um, but uh, the the Dragons pulled within 20, uh, 25, 23. So they were uh, they were down two. And uh, we scored. We had a clean hold after uh, Casey Starzel had a uh, huge layout grab to uh, give the Phoenix a uh, 26-23 lead. And then they, uh, we 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 pulled the Rochester there. They had a single turn. Uh, our D line worked it down. We called timeout. We got a break, and that break started a, a run of four straight breaks to end the game, which really sealed the victory for us. You know, Rochester was coming hard prior to that, but uh, we turned the disc over. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six consecutive possessions, and um, the uh, the and it, and the dragons got two consecutive breaks to pull within 25-23. And um, watching my team pull away there at the end at home to give the home because we hadn't won a game at home in in in, in a long time. Yeah, and, only at Rochester, right? Yeah, only at Rochester at this particular. That was a 17-16 win. Uh, I remember that game too because I, I I walked around the circle as the guys were stretching after the game because it was my first AUDL win and I was I was crying because <laughs> we uh, we'd won. Uh, but uh, yeah, I was shaking everybody's hand, telling them, thanking them for their effort or whatever. 
And uh, that's, uh, you know, I mean, that was my favorite part of the game. I mean, watching the guys play as hard as they did, Harvish, like you, you like you were saying earlier in the podcast, that was a uh, that was uh, one of the things I was most proud of is the team never gave up the entire year despite our record. And uh, I remember our last game of the year that particular season, we had the Toronto Rush and and, uh, we lost to them 24-20. And the uh, Rush went on to win the uh, league championship, I believe, that year. And we were within four of them. And that that was a long way from the beginning of our season. And uh, I was really excited to see where we were going to go the next particular season. It just... You know, it it just never happened. Brian, you seen enough yet to to say what your favorite moment was so far? Oh, I, I think I'm just getting a joy of watching a lot of these players. I think, you know, there's a lot of guys that have gone on to do other things, you know, like we talked about Kevin Quinlan going to Montreal. Um, Patrick Stegemiller plays in this game and he does the podcast in the fields. Um, so he's number one in this. And then you Max Rick, who plays for the Royale later on, talked about Ferraro. Brian Kibler, he, he does stall seven for the AUDL. He's playing as a handler in this game. Um, there was a, a lot of cool energy uh, in a lot of ways of trying to put together this kind of professional team and figuring it out. There's a couple of guys I played with uh, in college, TJ Burns, who was had a really good year the year previous. So it's a really cool blast from the past to see this kind of early uh, game, even though, like I've said, I've there's a lot of things that would change about the way I coached, but you got to start somewhere. And the, uh, it's, it's one of the reasons why I still have, I've got the Rochester dragons penny right now that I can show you guys. So I don't know if you can see it. I think this is one of the, like this logo. I think actually, if, if this was just a logo, if this was a Jersey instead without the sublimation, I think this would actually be a pretty dope logo. Yeah, it is. It's a very cool logo. So, you know, <laughs> seeing this, I, I did a lot of like, I put a lot of my own money into this for practice space this was a time when early on caring about ultimate and without, without this kind of stepping stone, um, I wouldn't have the relationships I had with these players and who are some who I coach with today and still talk to a lot. And um, I wouldn't uh, have had the opportunity to go to the booth and get all these other opportunities with the AUDL. So uh, it, it's just, there's no one single moment. We have some good plays, but I, this was just really fun to, to take a look back on. Yeah, watching watching these guys play as hard as they were playing was one of the bigger joys I've gotten out of this particular podcast and watching this particular game is, uh, you know what I mean? They, these guys played really hard. And they played hard for for me and for the city of Philadelphia and uh, watching how hard the Dragons were playing. I mean, it was a, it was an entertaining game, you know what I mean? And uh, I, uh, I I I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it for the world, you know. After the game, our uh, our owner he uh, pulled in a uh, we he got some pizzas and uh, we had some uh, champagne in the locker room <laughs> and we were sitting there drinking champagne like we just won the AEBL championship man and it was uh it was it was a lot of fun we were popping the corks spraying it around there was a shadow on there and I I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Brett Sawyer came out of the uh, came out of the uh, shower. He was completely buck naked, and he was uh, he went and he grabbed a slice like one of the last slices of pizza, and he was sitting there sitting there covering his genitalia with one hand and eating a slice of pizza with another in the locker room as people were spraying him with champagne, and it was uh, it was just a funny sight to to behold there or whatever. But uh, uh, but it was uh, you know that that was a fun a fun. Uh, a fun team, a fun time, and a, 
a very fun evening, no question. It's you guys are the most entertaining group. Like your podcast is so great. Like hearing <laughs> hearing you guys talk about the game was just like awesome. It was it was <laughs> the best. It, it's like literally my favorite content that's come out from the, it's a, my favorite Corona content right now. <laughs> so that's really high. That's high praise. Thank you very much. That's really cool. We're yeah. gonna have to yeah. moving forward. We might only be able to pick games that uh, Harvish and I know the names for because otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> There's just only so much that we can say. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't have to do the Dragons, but I'm just, once the league gets going again, anytime that New York plays uh, Philly. We'll definitely, be on. we'll definitely have you on. There's no question about it. If you're willing to give us the time, there's no uh, reason why we wouldn't have you on for any for any game. Yeah, anything for Shaggy. There you go. That's what I hear. Right. Uh, yeah, Shaggy has that effect on all kinds of people. You yeah. know what it is, Steve? I made a joke about it at the beginning, but it makes a really big deal to Brian's if you remember if they're I Brian's or Y Brian's. It really matters. <laughs> it, it does. I, I said we it. have another. We have another mutual Y Brian friend who I think every time he's met someone, he's brought it up at least once. Okay, well, I made sure I dropped it. I, I dropped the Y there. It was cool. You, you did great. Yeah, there's there are people. What's what's great is when people get an email from me, have to, or no, not, no, when they email me out of the blue. So they have to type in my email address and find it. And for like work email, and it says Brian with a Y Jones. And they screw it up in the body of the email and they boot Brian with an I. It's like, you're, you're not, you're not reading. You can't, you don't have comprehension. <laughs> so that's like a dead giveaway. It is a big deal. I mean, it's a debate whether or not I's or Y's are good, you know, better. I think Y's look better in a signature. It makes the signature more interesting, you know, so. All right, Phoenix fans, join us next week when we recap the Phoenix's stunning win over the Toronto Rush in Toronto from June 29th, 2019 on AUDL.TV. For my partners in crime, Alexander Shaggy Shragus, for Harvish Huck Meta. And for Coach Brian Jones, Brian, thank you for joining us on The Burning Bird. We really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. For Shaggy, for Huck, I'm Steve Leinert. Join us next week for another edition of The Phoenix Files.